Welcome to the Embellish Podcast, where we like to talk about stories. We like to explore how embellishment makes a story better, how it allows us to connect more deeply with both the person telling the story and the subject of the story. Together, we will explore people, products, and places that have a story to tell. We'll navigate through the truths, half-truths, and outright lies and decide if truthiness even matters. Thanks for tuning in to the Embellish Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, uh, take a chance to go back and listen to episode zero where we introduce what the overall idea of it, what it is that we're trying to do here. And if you've returned to, to listen to the second episode, thank you very much for um, coming back. Uh, if episode zero is the who and the what of what Embellish Podcast is, uh, this is maybe episode 0.5 or episode one half, where we explore the why of it. Um, storytelling to me is a sign of humanity. It's the thing that is central to the history of man, um, evolution, religion. All of these things are trying to tell some sort of a narrative. It's deeply ingrained in who we are, and it's the lowest barrier of entry for knowledge acquisition. If you want to learn something new, the easiest way to learn it is is through story format. We see that with math problems that are word problems. We see that with um, any number of problem solving. If we can break it into a story format, sometimes it makes it easier to understand. Some may perceive storytelling as lying or uh, embellishing of the truth. Uh, and that is part of what creates the unique flavor of any given story. But lie brings such a harsh connotation. I'm not sure lie is an appropriate term for what happens within the concept of storytelling. Uh, prime example uh, is religion. Uh, whether you are a believer of any deity or not, um, the, the handing down of religious tradition began orally. Um, all religions are founded in oral tradition. Through that time frame of oral tradition being passed down from person to person, it is incredibly possible and more likely than not uh, the case that the oral tradition that is passed down contains things that are factually incorrect. And that has to do with the nature of how we communicate information over time. I'm sure that you've played the telephone game where you have, you know, 10 people set up in a line and one person passes a, a message to the next. And when you get to the end, you, you wind up with a message that is entirely uh, different than what was originally said. Most of the time it will maintain the sentiment of the original message. It just loses some of the specificity over the, over the carrying of the information from one person to the next. So, uh, storytelling in and of itself is not lying. There are things that might be deemed to be falsehoods or um, half-truths along the way. There is also the possibility that during the course of storytelling, you intentionally tell lies to make things more interesting, make things uh, more fun, more approachable, or more dramatic. Um, and that uh, is a part of storytelling, and that's a part of product storytelling as well. It's something that we can't get away from. So what we as consumers, what we as individuals have to do is we have to be able to discern, is this particular falsehood um, brought in with an intent to deceive us in a negative fashion? Uh, 
if all we ever had was just the facts, that would sort of suck. You'll find that the uh, nonfiction and fiction sections of any library or bookstore are incredibly different. The human mind is drawn towards fiction, uh, and the best pieces of fiction have enough fact in it to make it uh, believable, but enough fiction in it to make it interesting. Going back to the discussion on whether you are a religious or non-religious type person, religious beliefs inherently absorb the idea of storytelling. One might assume that if they are a non-believer or an agnostic individual, that their particular belief system is devoid of story and nothing could be farther from the truth there. Uh, in trying to understand what it is that that particular person believes or does not believe, they've crafted a narrative, a story of why it is they are the way that they are. In a desolate marketplace, storytelling is unnecessary. In a, in, a, um, in a marketplace where there are few products, differentiation is not necessarily required. However, whenever you end up with a marketplace that is full of products, you have to find a way to differentiate yourself. So storytelling can become that avenue. The avenue where you create interest, you create buzz, um, you create... Um, a want of a specific product by crafting a very careful narrative. Um, that's what's interesting to me. That's what I uh, thrive on. Those are the things that I really want to explore is how did they develop this story? Does this story become interesting to the consumer, to me as an individual consumer, or to a broader base of consumers? And with what degree of intentionality did they craft this story? Were they aware of all of the market conditions that could come into play by telling the story that they're trying to tell. Stories identify, stories motivate, stories distract, and stories deceive. A good story can take a good product and elevate it to greatness. A good story can take a bad product and make it tolerable. And a bad story can take a great product and bring it down. We can pretend that we are not impacted by the stories that products are trying to tell, but we're likely fooling ourselves. Um, the reality is, is that we are inherently impacted by these particular product stories. A bad story can have long-lasting implications on anything. Thinking about a bad narrative, prime example is MSG. MSG is present in most Asian food. In the 60s and 70s, American consumers were clamoring for uh, Chinese food, for Japanese food, and for anything Asian. Something new and something original, something that they were not used to. We can fast forward a little bit, and at some point in time, a story was developed that MSG was directly linked to cancer. Now, there's been a bundle of science put against this particular concept over the last 20, 30 years that indicates that there is no linkage between MSG and cancer, I would guess that as soon as I said MSG, you likely began thinking about that particular chemical that causes cancer. Another prime example, even more recently, is vaccines. Whether you are an anti-vaxxer or a pro-vaccination individual, I don't know and I honestly don't care. But the anti-vaccination group got a whole lot of followers because a famous person at some point in time picked up some bad science and yelled loudly from the rooftops that her child specifically had 
autism because of vaccines. So it began this incredible narrative that vaccinations lead directly to autism in children. And it is something that science has spent millions, if not billions of dollars trying to counteract over the last 10 years. Something that they've tried to combat. And, and it goes to the power of a story. The, the power of a story to harm and the power of a story to help. Another example of a powerful story is the Pepsi Challenge. If you are a Gen Xer on the edge of a millennial, you're probably familiar with the Pepsi Challenge. It was a period of time in the 80s and 90s when the Pepsi company was going into the marketplace and doing blind tastings. And it sounds very familiar for the bourbon world. But they were doing these blind tastings to hope to change the narrative that Coke was the premier carbonated beverage of its time. They were basically assaulting the narrative that Coke was the best, while also creating a secondary narrative that Pepsi is on an equal footing with this titan of the cola industry. So what does that have to do with bourbon? Bourbon isn't a single story, it's an anthology. It's an anthology that's deeply rooted in the fabric of the American experiment. One might even say, that the story of bourbon is the story of the United States of America. The individual product stories that live within the current bourbon community intertwine heavily. They play off of each other. Brands, while competitive, are also friendly with each other, uh, willing to help each other. There's no shortage of stories of one brand helping another brand make it through a tough time. In the same fashion that religious history is rooted in oral tradition, so is the story of bourbon. It's rooted in um, passing on of recipes from father to son on a farming operation. It's rooted in the, the, the foundations of who was the first person to ever make bourbon, who was the first person to ever put you know, clear liquor into a barrel to create an aged product and how did they get there. And so because there is this oral tradition at its inception, it's hard to pinpoint where it began and who began it. And that adds a degree of mystique to it. Bourbon has its inceptions in on-farm distilling. It was a methodology for a farmer to be able to take their extra grain and stored in a fashion that they could then later on sell it to generate a profit. As farming efficiency increased, farmers were able to produce more grain than their individual family could consume, but technology did not allow for the storage of these grains over a long period of time. Moisture, humidity, dryness, pests, whatever, things would would threaten the long-term viability of this particular grain crop. So they found a way to convert it into a white liquor and they found a marketplace for it. Because if we look back far enough, we'll find that the average American in the early stages were, were consuming gallons upon gallons of alcohol on a, on a yearly basis. As the bourbon making process matures, we move into a world of mass production and rectification and blending and ways that we can tr try to increase our profitability and our efficiency. And you can make a direct correlation between that and the Industrial Revolution here in the United States of America and how these two things are still intrinsically tied to each other. So if you fast forward to modern day distilling operations, a lot of the, the exercise is very much the same. You put a degree of grain in some good clean water, you cook it, you distill it, and then you stick it in a barrel. How can we correlate this particular process to the technology era? Well now we have introduced these concepts of custom distilling and experimental finishing and new ways of trying to age. In the same way that the United States economy grew and became increasingly technologically influenced, so did bourbon. So you might be able to really romanticize the concept of bourbon and say that bourbon is the United States in a bottle. It's a blending of products. It's a long process that over time has matured 
and been improved upon. So if you can draw that correlation between the American ecosystem and a particular product, and then you dive deeper into the individual brands, you find wonderful stories of community, you find giving, you find all of the American drama that could ever exist. And they're fun. They're, they're, they're super interesting to listen to. And they can make your enjoyment of a given product a little bit better. They, they can enhance your experience. They can embellish a story and create an atmosphere where you're going to enjoy a thing slightly more than you did. Or vice versa, they can create an environment and tell a story that's going to make you dislike something slightly more than you already disliked it. Those are the things that are interesting to me in, in bourbon. That's what differentiates what I'm trying to do here from what a lot of other people are trying to do. A lot of other people are trying to get away from the story and they want to talk only about what's in the in the bottle. And that's great. And, and I want to participate in that as well. But I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the stories that are being told and sharing that with the average consumer. Bourbon nerds get hung up on blind tastings and mash bills and aging and you know what the climate was like and where it was in the rickhouse and those are all things that matter to me as well but your average consumer is going to go in and is going to be faced with a wall full of bottles and unsure of how to select one and so if you can understand the product story that's being told to you if you can look at a bottle and you can relate to it now you have the beginning of a talking point to another person. So when you invite them into your home and you consume this beverage with them, you have something that you can talk about. And so now you're creating a narrative from a narrative. And the this is the center of bourbon for me. And so I hope that you'll be willing to stick around. Uh, I know we've now had two episodes and no real bourbon stories, but those are going to be coming up. I wanted to lay a solid foundation for what it is that I want to do here, what this particular project is, so you don't get an episode in or two episodes in and, and feel like you have no idea what's going on. So thank you for listening along. I hope that you'll join us on our next episode where maybe we'll actually begin talking about bourbon. Thanks for listening to the Embellish Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. Check out our website at embellishpod.com and follow us on social media at Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what we have going on. If you have an idea about a story we should talk about, send it to us at embellishpod at gmail.com. And remember, whether famous or infamous, a good story mixed with a touch of embellishment makes the food you ate, the drink you drank, and the places you visited just a little more memorable. 